Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. This is episode number three in our new series, Private Land When You're King. Around 90% of whitetail deer are taken on private land, but when you're boss, that comes with more responsibility and decisions. How can you make the best decisions that lead to better deer hunting and not worse, because that's possible. Today our guest is Dr. Clint McCoy, a well-known and respected outdoor writer who has an interesting background and some counterintuitive approaches to share as well. As we start, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you use that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What are Clint's thoughts on how to get access to private ground? Something that's getting harder to do by the day. And how most people lose access. What does Clint think is the biggest mistake people make on their approach to hunting private land? What does Clint think is the most overlooked time to scout? And what specific things does he look for to get him close to mature bucks? And remember Clint is in middle Illinois, so keep that in mind compared to the areas where you hunt. And I have a few challenges at the end that I believe will truly take your hunting skills up several notches, so make sure to stay tuned and listen for that. And now let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. All right, I'm here with Dr. Clint McCoy. Um, Clint, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I always appreciate coming on. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I... Uh, we were just chatting and it was kind of funny, um, uh, a story about, uh, Clint here and I've had a lot of doctors on the show actually, which wasn't planned. It's just kind of how it worked out. And, um, we're, we've been acquaintances for a while. Um, and through Facebook a while back, uh, Clint posted this x-ray image of a, a turkey and a turkey they shot that you can see the, the different, uh, the pellets in it and all this. And I was curious, I was like, the real question here, and he made some very, you know, uh, scientific statements about, you know, the shot and all this stuff. And I was like, the real question is, who lets you take an x-ray of a dead turkey? And uh, come to find out, I didn't realize he's a vet, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, also a great whitetail hunter. Uh, and so in this episode, we're really going to pick his brain about the private land setup and this... Uh, segment of what we're looking at here is when you're king and the idea being when you have control uh in the private land setup what are the some top moves you can make and how to use that control and power uh when you're the king so before we dive into that though clint uh tell us a little bit more about you for people that might not know who you are okay um i grew up on a um small family dairy farm here, Southeastern Illinois, uh, Crawford County, right along the Wabash, um, and, uh, you know, Southeast portion of the state. And, uh, I always, you know, had a affinity for animals and taking care of them growing up on the, the dairy. And, you know, I, I decided when I was a senior in high school that I wanted to try and do the, uh, try to get through the veterinary program. And so I went to, 
uh, two years down at Vincennes University for uh, get my feet wet. And then I went to uh, Champaign-Urbana up at University of Illinois and I stayed there for six long, arduous years. And I made it uh, into vet school and through it and I've been in private practice for a little over 18 years now. And you also uh, write quite a few hunting articles, is that correct? Yeah. In my spare time, that's one of the things I really enjoy. I, I do a lot of um, freelance writing for North American Whitetail Magazine. I'm really proud of that. They, uh, they they gave me some really good topics that I can deep dive and do some uh, breaking the science down of certain different uh, topics that you can put kind of a veterinary spin on it. And I feel like that gives me a niche content um that i i feel like i can speak on with with some credibility you know and, and it um it makes for some some definitely some different unique spins on things yeah and um before we get into the private land thing just in general i'll start out with this do you do you feel that that background um and really understanding things on a more of a biological level helps you as a as a hunter oh absolutely absolutely without question um one of my my but one of my friends and i were, were joking around with each other right after i got out of, out of vet school and he's like well yeah but you got the advantage he said you're like terminator 2 judgment day you've got all everything downloaded you know you got everything programmed you've studied the anatomy and the physiology and in the nutrition and stuff like that so you're an unfair advantage i'm like yeah but i spent a hell of a lot of money to to on tuition to <laughs> to get that so right. but i think it certainly does uh on a not only an anatomical and physiologic standpoint but also on a empathy for the game we kill standpoint i never want my game um injured you know i know it sounds strange but i don't want to harm them i want to harvest them uh and you know I, I try to really hone my skills with weapons and and tinker and, and fiddle around with a lot of different loads and and uh broadhead combinations arrow combinations and and i just want to be the most maximum lethal and efficient that i can be uh just out of respect for the game you know yeah, I think that's uh, something everybody really should aspire to, um, making those quick ethical kills and uh, be, having being knowledgeable about just things like deer anatomy more than just what the hooves and the antlers are is definitely a part of that. Um, well, let's talk about private land setups here. Uh, first of all, you, you mentioned you're in uh, Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about where you hunt and what, what I guess, just a general idea of that and how much of that is uh, private versus public, uh, how much of it is permission versus owned or leased. Uh, just you know, give yeah, us an overview so of that. I don't, I don't own a stitch of ground, um, and I don't lease any either, Um my dad and, and uncle Dan have a small family farm here and, but we just have this really small wood, lots of timber, nothing extravagant in the way of habitat, you know? Um, but in all reality, I'm like 90% private permission based knock and talk. 
um, and maybe 10% public. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder to come by permission is anymore. Um, I think a lot of hunters have spoiled it for the rest of us, um, for, with landowners occasionally. And, um, you know, I, when you have permission on a piece, you try and take care of it like it's your own, you know, and, uh, that, that's, I, I've developed a lot of really nice, good relationships with, with our, some local landowners and farmers. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been really good and it lets me see different country too. You know, I'm not always mm-hmm. having to devote to one spot. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so most, most of these knock on permission ones you've had for a while, it sounds like, um, how many of those spots do you also hunt with other people that have permission there? Or are these like solely just your ninety percent? Almost every one of them. Um, aside from aside from two, um, everybody else. It's it's more like I, I look at it this way sometimes. Sometimes I look at it and it's like semi private public ground or semi public private ground you know because uh-huh. <laughs> the farmers around here man they, they see deer out along the cornfields and they want them they're they've got the kill them all attitude right so I- anybody that wants to hunt them oh yeah you know but um i would almost rather have a big stretch of public than than that scenario but if you just figure out what they're doing wrong and you're doing right a lot of times you can negotiate it, but our our public access here in our home county is pathetic. Um, we only have um, a couple thousand acres worth of public ground in the whole county, and they let them uh, they let gun seasons go through the whole thing, and uh, it's the the park isn't closed to the general public during 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 uh, season and stuff like that it uh it's it's super less desirable that you can kill there but i don't care for the crowd yeah it's definitely getting more and more pressured uh and then we've had different podcasts about this and just how um that's become a fad thing or or if <laughs> this airs before that they they'll be coming out just uh public land is getting tougher as if it wasn't tough enough to begin with type thing but so private is the the game now it seems like and you know nda just came out with this report last year that like i think around 90 percent of deer are taken on private so i saw that really if you if you want success you know if you want the challenge go public but if you want success long term it it is private is where it's at um you mentioned just a second ago how, you know, that is getting tougher and um, different reasons for that, right? Uh, leases and money is, I think, a big reason for that. Oh, yeah. People figure that out. Um, do you have any thoughts on that for guys? We just talk about getting access, right? Um, mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that as far as uh, getting some good access uh, to private ground yeah my first piece of advice is be a hard worker and have an appreciable skill that people value you know if 
if they know you you have a career and are hardworking, and it doesn't matter what you do either, um, you're hardworking, you offer them to help with any habitat projects or farm fen- fence fixing, yard mowing, um, sending thank you notes, sending gas cards, like... We as as permission based hunters need to do a hell of a lot better job at appreciating our landowners, and and I've fallen prey to that as well um, over the years. But I, I I try to stay in contact with them every every year or every other year, um, and, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of variables to be able to cultivate a a, a good working relationship with a landowner. And I might give somebody a shed I found on their piece or, or make them an antler pin out of it, you know, um, just stuff like that, picking up trash and showing them, like, just show them that you appreciate the gesture. That is a number one. Yeah, I think, uh, so I hunt Michigan, um, mostly public, but I also hunt Ohio and that's private. Um, I, probably about 10 years ago, knocked on a ton of doors called a bunch of people, you know, and got a couple spots, right? Um, but I think a lot of people think it stops there. Like, I, I secured permission, now I hunt. The, they view it transactionally um, versus relationally. And really, uh, the the hunting is, like, secondary. It, it really should be the relationship is what your main goal uh, of you know, working on it, it is what should be the number one thing. I think people forget that pretty easily uh, because all well, the hunting is the reason they, they're they there, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. And I've seen, personally, I've seen people lose permission because they don't realize that. Yep. Or they, do, they do stuff that doesn't sit well with the landowner and pretty soon they, they're looking for permission elsewhere. So that's a huge thing, uh, especially now um, that it's getting even tougher. If you've got listeners out there digging into this right now and you're conscientious hunters and say you've got a half a dozen landowners that give you permission to hunt on and say you've got a relationship with a good working relationship with three or four of them. Well, next time you go to ask permission from a new landowner i always tell my new landowners when i'm approaching the first time hi this is adam lewis with deeriq.com and this is your high iq moment since around 90 percent of all deer are taken on private land according to a recent nda survey this means that most opportunity is probably on private land both now and in the future. If you're considering buying land, here's a tip from our blog article, Get a Private Land Hunting Hotspot. Since it's such a big investment, before considering buying land, you should really know the area, what the deer herd is like, and how other landowners manage their land. A good realtor can really help, but I personally would want to know the area myself. A good way to do this is either by hunting nearby public land for a few years, if there is some nearby, or even leasing in the area for a few years. This gives you real time 
in the season to hunt and see what it's actually like there and if you want to make that big investment. Better to find out now than buying land that is really no good or has bad neighbors who don't practice QDM of any sort and find out later. Also consider getting to know the neighbors beforehand as well so you can make a well-informed decision you won't regret. That really can make all the difference. And if you're getting something good out of this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend who may benefit. And also commenting, liking, or reviewing depending on where you're listening or watching. This helps the podcast grow and it's greatly appreciated. It really is. So thank you for that. All right, and now let's get back to the podcast. I always tell my new landowners when I'm approaching the first time, hey, I'm not looking for something for free. I know you guys pay property taxes on this, and I'll take care of the ground like it's my own, but is there anything I can do for you in return? That speaks volumes, volumes to people who who are landowners. And, um, you know, I would go one step further there. If your new ASCII uh, box and stuff, have a couple of, of letters of recommendation from your other landowners. Um, that really helps a lot. Uh, and and um, you'd be surprised. So all the farmers go up to the coffee shop and talk, right? And if, one of them's got an axe to grind with you. It ain't very long in between everybody else wanting to grind your axe. So if, if you treat landowners with respect and treat their ground properly, don't give them a reason to talk about you at the coffee shop, you know? Yeah. Get, get rid of you or invite somebody else in. And I have a, pretty interesting story about this i'll keep it real short but one of the spots i hunt in ohio uh older couple they're really nice people i think that that in general you know nice people will let people in general hunt um as long as they're not leasing it or something and that's what they did and there was a lot of people that they let hunt there when i first started hunting there but over time they started weeding people out because they do this or that you know and it just you know they were weren't they they weren't looking at the relationship at all they were just coming and hunting and leave and and leave right and so i would help out and do different things and over time it's this is probably not this is the exception i would think but over time they said well you, we noticed you camp when you come here and hunt you camp up the road 20 minutes why don't you just stay in our basement it's like a full finished basement and has a shower and a kitchen and all this stuff you just stay here and so it turned into now they just want me to visit like oh we'll play cards and you know whatever That's oh great. you can go hunting too obviously but you know so they this the old guy passed away a few years ago but the lady is, is still around and she's like my grandma now so um i'm not saying it'll turn into that i think that's very rare but you know the relationship is huge in that and absolutely the, the hunting is secondary so um, the, the landowner above all else needs to trust you. And if you do things to infringe on trust or even have them question the trust of you, um, leaving ruts, leaving one imp empty soda can, you know, anything small. 
Yeah. It'll start creeping into that trust. So pick up after yourself, be respectful, tell them thanks and be sincere about it. Yeah. Simple stuff, but it goes a long ways. Yes, it does. Let's get into a little bit or start getting into uh, your hunting on private here. Kind of establish where you hunt and uh, mostly by permission, right? What is the biggest mistake you feel hunters make on their approach to hunting private land? Uh, You mean on entry or just their 50,000 foot overview? Yeah, the 50,000 foot overview. Um, that every buck they see in the summertime is going to stay there. That's a huge mistake because he doesn't all the time. Right. You know, with the velvet peel and the shift and once beans turn, things start happening in the, in the timber, they want to eat mass crops. And and just a lot of guys devote the whole first month of October sitting around the brown bean field uh, that the buck was pounding in middle of July. It just ain't going to happen that way, you, you know? Right. Um, and, and secondarily to that point, um, I don't, I feel like guys don't spend near enough time in the deep timber during the summer months and winter months. Like those times a year are absolutely critical to pin down trophy whitetails. Like you just can't sit, you just can't drive around in your truck with a spotting scope every night in the summer and go, yep, that's my target buck. You got to figure out where he lives, what he eats, what, where he sleeps. Um, it's uh, intensive scouting is a, or the lack thereof is a, is a huge Achilles heel to your consistency as, as a yearly hunter. So would you say that that in particular, you mentioned summer and winter, right? Mm -hmm. I think um, more guys are probably familiar in the winter. And I don't know if you want to go in depth with this uh, stuff later in segment two. But um, a lot of guys are, you know, maybe familiar with winter scouting, right? Maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. not. But summer scouting back in. So can you describe that a little bit? Like, what do you do? What are you looking for? Because I think uh, some guys are, um, depending on how close it is to the opener season, they're not wanting to mess things up, right? Uh, so I think the approach is stay out. So what what do you do with that? Take that I don't want to mess things up attitude and bury it till about October 1st. Like summer is the time to be ultra aggressive. Your scent burns off on hot, dry days. You almost have to step on bucks to get them to flee because they're so hot and they're always on their bellies. Like, what better time of year than diving into the heat of the timber in the summer and looking for bedding structure and revisiting some of those uh, winter scouting places that you really picked out so that's typically what i'll do i'll 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 get a lot of sign data for winter especially on maybe a potential for a target buck Mm -hmm. and by july 4th it's go time it's time to get in there revisit those spots 
hang trail cameras over community scrapes that we've pinned and flagged um, and like get after it. If you bump him, who gives a shit? You're going to, he, he's got months yet, you know? So I, I am, I am ultra, like borderline, um, borderline too much in the summer and it's hot work and it's sometimes abysmal but if i go i'm not going in the morning i'm not going in the evening i'm going from 10 to about two or three the hottest part of the day those deer are going to be kicked back laying in the shade chewing their cud and waiting for a cooler time yeah that's a that's interesting interesting take but because i do think most guys in the summer are just glassing pretty much you got to combine glassing and and intensive on foot scouting you have to so we know that a lot of these bucks will when the bachelor groups break up and Mm -hmm. remind me when does illinois uh archery season start we open october one okay um, so a lot of those groups have broken up by then. Some might still be kind of together, but a lot of them have broken up. They've kind of gone to different home ranges. Um, like you said, the summer bucks, uh, aren't going to necessarily be on your property, uh, come fall. Um, but so what do you do with that summer data then? So you're going back in the woods scouting and I'm finding, uh, what are you looking for and how does that, are you looking for like a quick hit, the first couple of days of season, if that buck sticks around where you can really take sure. advantage of that summer stuff or what, what is exactly all, your, all, all the above I'm cataloging different strategies. So yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to try and the, the first couple of weeks, October, it's normally pretty hot and I just call it burner season, right? If I've got a, a buck that's decent and I think it might be killable and you know, I don't care if I really ruin it. I'll just run it right at him in the heat and I'll burn that up and save my better intel for, you know, the last two weeks, October, first two, two weeks of November. Um, so it, it's all variable, you, you know, and one of the things I really like to do is monitor those community licking branch scrapes that are in the deep timber adjacent from doe bedding areas and you can bet your pay, week's pay that if a big mature buck comes in on video and that wind is blowing out of that doe bedding and he works that scrape in the summer, I almost guarantee you he's going to do it again during season. Like those interior scrapes drive me absolutely giddy. Those are my favorite. I almost never put a camera on an edge scrape anymore. It's those big, deep master scrapes. And so I start monitoring those right now. If he if he visits it in the summertime, he's going to do it again in the fall. Yeah. Um, do you find that most bucks are hitting those in the summer? Because I think a lot of guys think they only, oh, scrapes start, you know, mid-fall, mid-October, pre-rut, you know. <clears throat> so... Deer will deer will use licking branches 365, but you won't see very many bucks pawing the ground and hawk urinating until fall. 
Um, very rarely do they do they posture and urinate and paw at the ground in the summer because mm-hmm. their testosterone isn't isn't high. Um, think of that barnyard bull that everybody knows is mean as a snake, and he's got testosterone running through him. What does he do? Paws the ground. You know, it's a it's a testosterone behavior. But that licking branch is, is the most critical part of a scrape. Uh, that's the signpost. That's the that's the email between deer um, that lets a buck know how many does are in the area and who they are and and any bucks coming along. Uh, that licking branch is what I really focus on. Gotcha. Yeah, and find how. So how many of those are you finding? And once you find one, if it's uh, one of these perennial ones, it's okay. Probably gonna use it next year and the year after that and year after that. Um, so you can either find them. Do you make any of those yourself? Do you get into sometimes um, some various? So when I'm finding those community scrapes, it's always in the dead of winter. Um, hopefully after a snow melt, um, cause they just pop like a sore thumb. And what I'll do right. is, um, instead of putting a camera on it in the winter, I'll just take a piece of orange marker tape and mark a little branch out there beside it. Because in, in the summertime, boy, it looks a lot different in there, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> and that's been really helpful. But when, when I do that, it, if the vine or, or branch or whatever still hanging, um, I take a little um, gardener's tool and just scrape a giant manhole-sized uh, uh, leaf litter scrape uh, below that and, you know, kind of hijack it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And then when I, when I install my cameras, it'll be July. Yeah, I think a lot of guys forego scrapes till later in the year. So that's interesting of, about, you know, pretty much all year round, you're uh, either finding or using those to help you. Um, you. You made one mention about mock scrapes. Mm-hmm. I, th- there are situations where I will use a mock scrape um, and, and it serves me pretty good. Like if I want an interior, if I want to design an interior hub scrape, I can try that or like a lot of times if I'm on these transition trails between bed to feed, um, almost every one of those stands has a licking branch mock scrape doctored up right at my 12 o'clock, you know, 15, 20 yards. It just spices the set up a little bit. And a few years ago, I had a really, really nice um, typical come rolling right in there in October and I shot him when he was licking the branch. It was wild. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Holy cow, that worked. <laughs> it was great. And he's so distracted. He's not paying attention at all. Yeah. Yeah. And if anything, like you, yeah, using those to just kind of manipulate their movement just enough that they'll go where you want them to, like they could go this trail or that trail to the field or whatever the food yep. source but it gives them one more reason to go where you want them to. It's by your just stand. another incentive to give you a chance. Yep, and also stop them, right? Just yeah, just pause here for me. Thank you. You know, um, good stuff, Clint. So we're gonna wrap up this segment. Okay. Uh, the next segment, we're gonna dive deeper into specific strategies. So you guys want to uh, stay tuned and listen for that. 
So as we wrap up, here are some key high IQ takeaways and challenges. If you have permission on property, rate your relationship with the landowner and identify how you can improve or keep a good relationship with them. Remember, this should be the number one priority before hunting. Can you change your scouting in the summer to better get intel on bucks in your area? Clint does deep dives in the summer keying on perennial scrapes, which I believe is a big key and can be on public land too. So what can you do in those areas? Next time we'll continue with Dr. McCoy and really dig deep into some specific strategies, both short term and long term that he uses on mature Illinois bucks and also some of his successes and failures and lessons he learned. A lot of good stuff in there. You won't want to miss it. And I'll see you then.